Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21. You probably by now know what an urban legend is. An urban legend is a modern story. It's folklore. Parts of it may be true, but much of it is completely false or partially false because it's been retold so many times. And these come in the form, all sorts of different forms. Some of them are photographs. For instance, this picture, which we're going to show, is the picture of, look at that. How would you like to be that guy? This huge shark jumping out of the water to get this British naval officer in its training exercises. That's false. That never happened. It circulated on the Internet with the words, This is real, dude. Check it out. It's not real. That is an urban legend. Or like this next picture. You look at this. That's a moose up on a power pole. (laughs) Pretty good moose, huh, to climb that thing? 50 feet in the air. Now that happens to be true, actually. What happened is they were laying um, the uh, power cables. They do it on the ground. The moose got the antlers stuck in the power cables. These huge machines lift up the cables for miles, and that moose was partially raptured in the process (laughs) until they had to get it down. And besides pictures, there are stories that are urban myths, false information, false claims that go out often by email. For instance, I came across one recently, the claim that an egg can be cooked by placing it in between two active cell phones. That's a myth. Can't happen, has never happened. It's an urban legend. Videos or no videos. And the idea is that if microwave radiation emitted by cell phones can cook an egg, imagine what it can do to your brain. It's a myth, urban legend. Another one is that Bill Gates is giving money away. Trust me, that's a myth. The story says that Internet users will be given cash if they forward messages to test Microsoft's email tracking system. Listen, Bill Gates isn't going to give money randomly to people who forward email messages to people. In fact, his response to this whole fiasco is this. This is more annoying than spam. Now, if people, here's my point, if people have misconceptions about life on earth, imagine what kind of misconceptions they have about life in heaven. Urban legends about heaven. And we've seen a few of those. It's actually estimated that 40% of the people in one poll believe that heaven is a real place, while 47% believe that heaven is simply a state of being. Of those who believe in heaven, 25% say that those who are good get into heaven. 10% say everyone gets into heaven. And we've even discovered that among those who are born-again Christians who trust that you have to believe in Jesus Christ in order to get into heaven, even among them there are urban myths about heaven. For instance, when you die, you turn into an angel. Or 
your relatives who have died before you become your guardian angels while you're left on the earth. Or you'll be sitting on a cloud playing a harp for millions of years. We've covered that. You'll be bored out of your mind. Uh, Another one is that you don't go to heaven first. You first have to go to a place to burn off all of your sins. And after a period of time, then you are released to get into heaven. All of these are legends. And all of these are the product of our imagination. It's all made up. That's why if you want to get the scoop on heaven, you have to turn, I have to turn to God's revelation about heaven. Not our imagination, God's revelation. Because in the Bible, over 500 times the word heaven appears. Over 700 times when you add the plural of the usage of heaven. And today, I want you to look with me at eight verses in Revelation 21 at a message that I'm calling Six Things That Will Surprise You About Heaven. Maybe I should restate that. Six things that may surprise you about heaven. We've already seen a few surprises. One surprise, perhaps, that some of you have encountered so far is that heaven is not a one-stop shopping experience. That there are different phases and different stages to your eternal dwelling. If you were to die today, your spirit would immediately go into the presence of God. You'd be there in His presence. You'd behold His throne. You would await your bodily resurrection. That happens at the rapture of the church. At that point, you receive a resurrected body. After that, at some point, you will come back to this earth with Jesus Christ at His second coming and for a thousand years rule and reign with Him in the millennial kingdom. And then after that comes the eternal state, the eternal dwelling place of all of God's people. Well, that's what we're dealing with here in chapter 21. Chapter 21, the rapture is past, the tribulation is past, the second coming is past, the millennium is past, and now we enter to that final eternal phase called the new heaven and the new earth. Now, some of you will remember Star Trek. In fact, I'm looking at a few people who are hardcore Trekkies, maybe. So you already know where I'm going with this. But how does every episode, or how did it open up? Space, the... Yeah, and it's not. Heaven, the new heaven, and the new earth is the final frontier. This is eternity after the millennial kingdom. So let's go to chapter 21. And and here's the first surprise that some of you may get regarding heaven. Number one, it's going to require destruction. Verse 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So keep in mind where we're at. After 1,000 years reigning with Jesus Christ on an earth that has been made over, That's the millennium. After all that is done, then the entire universe will be destroyed. Everything in the created order as we know it will be gone. Go back to chapter 20. Look at verse 11. This is now after the millennium. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. The earth gets uncreated, decreated, 
totally obliterated. And there's a lot of references throughout the Bible about this. For example, in Hebrews chapter 1, it uses a very colorful description. God will fold them up like a cloak to discard them, and things will be changed. In Matthew 24, Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. In other words, this present universe will have an end. It's sort of interesting, up until this last century, the prevailing cosmology among many in the scientific community was called the steady state theory that basically said the universe is eternal, never had a beginning, never had an end. It just continues. Then we made discoveries. For instance, the sun. The radiation from our sun is produced by the loss of mass. The sun loses 4,200,000 tons of mass every second. What does that mean? Eventually, there's not going to be any mass left. Eventually, it's going to wear out, run out, run down. If it had an end then it must have had a beginning. And so it is with all of the universe. And this earth is designed to be temporary. It was made. It will end. And it will end when God wants it to end. And it will end at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ. So one of the questions is, what holds it all together? Well, Paul answers it in... um, Colossians chapter 1, he says, look, Jesus Christ is the creator of everything in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. He goes on to say this, Colossians 1.17. He, Jesus, is before all things, he's eternal, and in him, in Jesus, all things that are created in heaven and earth, all things consist. The word consist means They're held tightly together. They cohere because in Christ everything is held together. So Jesus Christ took the chaos, the unformed mass, and made it into a cosmos, ordered systems that we now enjoy, and he holds it all together. We know that matter is made up of rapidly moving particles with opposite charges. However, listen to Dr. Lee Chestnut, who wrote a little piece called The Atom Speaks, where he says, consider the dilemma of the nuclear physicist when he finally looks in utter amazement at the pattern he has now drawn of the oxygen nucleus. For here are eight positively charged protons closely associated together within the confines of this tiny nucleus. With them are eight neutrons, a total of 16 particles, eight positively charged and eight with no charge. Earlier physicists had discovered that like charges of electricity and like magnetic poles repel each other, and unlike charges or magnetic poles attract each other. And the entire history of electrical phenomena and electrical equipment had been built upon these principles known as Coulomb's Law of Electrostatic Force and the Law of Magnetism. So, what was wrong? What holds the nucleus together? Why doesn't it fly apart? And therefore, why do not all atoms fly apart? 
Well, the short answer, Paul would say is, I know that Jesus Christ created it and he holds it all together. It consists in him. Question, what if he lets go? Answer, he will. And when he does, everything will collapse. Everything will be destroyed. Everything will be destroyed. Now, some of you might ask, wait a minute. Didn't God promise Noah that he would never again destroy the earth? Nope, he never promised that. Read the fine print. God said he would never again destroy the earth with a flood. That's the fine print. Never again with a flood. But he will destroy it with fire. So turn with me from Revelation 21. Go back to 2 Peter chapter 3. Just turn left, go a few blocks. You'll see 2 Peter chapter 3. Boy, I wish we had time to really talk about the relationship of 2 Peter 3 and Revelation 20 and 21. We just don't. I want to show you a few verses, however. Verse 7, 2 Peter 3. But the heavens and the earth, which now exist, are kept in store by the same word, reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So he just got through saying in the first part of the chapter, the earth was destroyed by water, now fire. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Boy, that's a great question, isn't it? Hey, if everything material is going to burn up, what kind of a person ought you to be? Certainly not materialistic, right? You should have an eternal focus since everything in this world will have an end. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, We, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So whereas the first earth was destroyed by water during Noah's time, and the millennial earth will then be destroyed by fire, that's the recreated original earth, it will be destroyed never to come back again. So... That may surprise some in heaven that it will require destruction. Number two, this might surprise you. Heaven, at this point, will take on a whole new, fresh design. It's not a renovation. It's not a recreation. It's brand new. Verse 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So we got new heaven, got new earth. Now we got new Jerusalem. Now look at verse 5. It's a summary statement of all this. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, or check it out, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true. And faithful. So, 
you get the scope of things, the entire universe as we know it will be obliterated. And at that point, God makes something brand new, totally different. The word for new, by the way, is kainos in Greek, not neos. Neos would mean new chronologically. Kainos means it's totally different than the other one. Totally different. A new kind. A fresh, new, totally brand new design. Not land improvement. Not renovation. Completely new materials, new atmosphere. I heard about a a scientist who was very arrogant. And he looked up to the sky and he said, Okay, God, I know that you made life, but you must feel very outdated by now. Because we have made so many advancements and we can like run the universe without you. We, We really don't need you anymore. We can do everything you can do. So God spoke to him and said, I challenge you to a contest. Scientist said, done. God reaches down, takes a handful of dirt, blows on it, Exotic bird is created, flies away. Magnificent. So the scientist closes his eyes, takes in a deep breath, realizing, okay, I've, I've mastered all the principles of soil manipulation and biological cloning. Here goes, reaches down, gets a handful of dirt. God goes, not so fast. Get your own dirt. <laughs> you can manipulate what I've made, but I've made it. It's my stuff. And all of God's original stuff will be decreated, and in its place will come something new and totally different. New. All things new. We love new things. Kids love new toys. We grow up, we still like new toys. New homes, new cars, new clothes. But the problem is, everything we get now that's new becomes unnew very quickly, right? Because we live in this universe that has the law of entropy and things lose their luster, lose their shine, break down, decay. There was a period in my early Christian walk, I'll never forget it. It was a, a couple months. It seemed that every single thing that I got that was new got scratched or dinged or broken. I was like on a losing streak. I bought a new camera I'd saved up for. First day home, out of the car, I get up, it falls on the driveway and dings the prism. Still worked. Damaged goods. Get a new surfboard a week later. First time I paddled out, another surfboard hit it. Hole right in the middle of it. A couple weeks later, get a new guitar. Scratch the first week. It's like God was saying, see? That's the future of this earth. It's all going to burn. It's all going to wear out. This is a fresh design. Isaiah 66, verse 22 The Lord says, I will make new heavens and a new earth which will last forever. By the way, this may surprise some. The new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem, it's real. It's it's physical. It has size, texture, color, dimension. It's not wispy, ethereal, spiritual, where you run around in a disembodied spirit. You'll have a body, a physical body with new capabilities in a real physical world called the new heaven and the new earth. A third surprise is that it's not going to have an ocean and you won't care. Again, verse 1, new heaven, 
new earth, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away also. There was no more sea. Now, I got a friendly little note after last week's service. You remember last week we were talking about the millennial earth and I said I get dibs on Maui, right? So, um, Snow came and says, sorry to say, Skip, that you, uh, you can wish for Maui. Uh, I thought she was going to say, but I got dibs on it. But she said, sorry to say, you can wish for Maui, but the new earth will have no islands because there will be no sea, Revelation 21.1. Well, in all kindness, she made a mistake. Last week, I wasn't talking about the new earth. I was talking about the millennial earth. And in the millennial earth, there will be a sea and there will be Maui. And I still get dibs on Maui. (laughs) So we're not talking about the millennial earth today. We were last week. Now we're talking about, that's all gone. Now we're talking about a whole new earth and a whole new heaven. And the new one, it says, there will be no sea. Boy, I have read this for years and I've always read it as like, gosh, Lord, this is harsh. This is so disappointing. And if I was going to make a new earth, I'd say something like, and there will be no more cities. There will be no more deserts or rocks, but lots and lots of ocean and beach. That's what I'd say. God says there will be no sea. It's interesting, by the way, the Bible seems to be silent on the features of the eternal state, what it's really going to be like, except in negatives. For instance, in verse 23, in the city of Jerusalem, New Jerusalem, there's no sun, there's no moon, And by implication, no stars. In verse 1, we just read there's no sea. I'll be honest with you. I have rationalized this statement for a long time. Well, maybe, maybe it's talking about nations that aren't in covenant relationship with God. That's what sea must mean. Because Isaiah 17 declares, The uproar of many peoples who roar like the roaring of the seas... The rumbling of the nations rush on like the rumbling of mighty waters. When I read that, I went, yeah, okay, that's what it means. Or Revelation 13, the Antichrist comes out of the sea. And in Revelation 17, it says, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. However, I don't believe that's what it means here. Because that metaphor was there and it's clearly explained what it is. Here it simply says everything's new. There's, no he- there's a new heaven, a new earth, new Jerusalem, and there's no sea. What does that mean? I think it simply means that the earth is going to be different. The earth, the new earth, will not be a water-based environment like it is now. Two-thirds of this earth is water. Two-thirds of this earth is covered by water. The soil of the earth itself has a water content. Your blood in your body is 90% water. Your flesh is 65% water. I think this is simply saying that the new world is not going to operate on the same principle of water. You're going to have glorified bodies, resurrected bodies. They won't demand the consumption of water. So there's no sea is a way of saying it's a whole different environment. Different atmosphere, different materials, different constitution. It's all new and different. You could say, I'm still bummed. 
You mean to tell me there's no water at all? No, it didn't say that. In fact, in Revelation 22, verse 1, I saw a pure river of the water of life. But I'll tell you something else. This is what it also means. Because oceans are barriers that separate one people from another. Those barriers are removed. There are no barriers at all in the new earth. A fourth thing that may surprise you is that it has a capital city. In verse 2, we're introduced to the new Jerusalem. Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. Now look down at verse 10. And He carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. So in the new earth, though there's really no information as to what landmarks are there, what size it will be, what are the colors of the new earth, except when it comes to this city. Beginning in verse 9 to the rest of the chapter and part of the next chapter is a description of what this new city will be like because this new city is the capital city of heaven. This is the headquarters. This is where God dwells with his people in his glory. And you've got to admit, this city is different from any other city you've ever seen or heard of. First of all, it descends from heaven toward the earth. And we don't know if it lands on the earth or it sort of seems like it's hovering, maybe even rotating around the earth. We've heard of New York and New Jersey and New Brunswick and uh, New Mexico. This is New Jerusalem. And it's the capital city. And it's an odd shape. I'm going to sort of give myself away. We'll see more next week. But get this. The shape of the city is 1,500 miles cubed. See, you've never seen a city like that. It's 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles tall. Just slightly smaller than our moon coming down from the heaven and hovering around the earth. We'll have access to it. We'll look more at it next time. You notice that it's called a holy city. A couple times it's mentioned, this is the holy city. Can you imagine a whole city that's holy? Albuquerque isn't a holy city. Santa Fe, though the name implies that it is, it's not. I'm not talking about a few homes or a few churches. Every occupant of the New Jerusalem will be holy. See, it's hard to get our minds around that. It's funny, people will say, I can't wait to go with you to Israel and visit the Holy Land and see Jerusalem, you know, the holy city. And I always think, you're going to have to wait a long time because it ain't holy right now. It will be. And during this time, it certainly will be. A fifth thing that may surprise you about heaven is that it's going to feel so totally unfamiliar. In fact, so different is the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem from any earthly experience that in verse 4 to 6 is described in the negative. It's so unlike anything, it has to be described by what's not there. Verse 4, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. 
And he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. So this is it. When this is done, it's done. There's no more stages. This now is the eternal state. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. That's, you know, we can't know what we can't know. So the only way we can know or get some kind of understanding about what we don't know is to compare what we don't know with what we do know and say it's not like this, right? So let's just go through that little list quickly. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and keep going down in that verse. There will be no crying, no tears in heaven, no Kleenex boxes in heaven. Our life presently is stained with tears. There's days of our lives, I have some, that stand out as days of tears. The first one was traumatic. I was in kindergarten. My first day. I'll never forget it because I was the world's biggest crybaby, honestly. My mom dropped me off at school. I wailed. And it didn't stop. Time the milk wagon came around, I still cried. Not over spilled milk, just I cried. Nap time, I cried. Lunch time, I cried. I didn't stop crying till my mommy picked me back up. It was traumatic, okay? I still have scars. <laughs> Big cry, baby. That was just the beginning, though. There would be many more days of crying when my father called me and said my brother had been killed. The day my mother called me and said my father had died. The day I was with my mother when she died, hearing that friends have died. And there will be many more. But here, it's gone. No crying. No tears. No tears of loneliness. No tears of misfortune. No tears of poverty. No tears of sympathy. No tears of persecution. No tears of regret. It's all gone. It also says there'll be no more death. Hard to imagine. No more death. You'll never have to go to another funeral, never visit a cemetery, never see another tombstone. 52 million people every year die on earth. That's 147,276 every day die. Our world constantly sees the flow of death. There'll be no death. There will be death in the millennial earth. There'll be no death in the new earth, new heaven, new Jerusalem. I mean, you'll never age. Come on, you'll never age. That's pretty cool. Listen, there's five, five companies, there may be more by now, last time I checked, five companies that specialize in cryonic technology. They will freeze you in liquid nitrogen at minus 320 degrees Fahrenheit, for a mere $100,000, you can get your body frozen. If you can't afford that, $35,000, they'll freeze your head. <laughs> Hoping that when they find out the cure for whatever disease killed you, they will then thaw you out and you can live and live and live. Save the money. This is free. <laughs> there is no death. And if there's no death, then there's no conditions that bring on death. 
right? You'll never need a doctor. There'll be no diseases, no surgery, no hospitals, no dentists, because there's no decay, no corruption, no cavities. We read in the same verse, there will be no sorrow. That's so hard to relate to. Do any of you ever get moody? You're just a little sort of sideways to be around. You just have one of those days. You ever feel like there's just a cloud that hangs over your day? You go, day? How about week? How about month? Some of you experience legitimate depression. Even Christians do. And so that's why we love, we gravitate toward the book of Psalms. We go, man, I relate to this. Like Psalm 6 where... The psalmist said, I am weary with my groaning. My eye wastes away because of grief. We read that and we go, man, I can relate to that. There's coming a day when you can't relate to that at all. Because there will be no more sorrow. I think that the the little statement, have a good day, will be the stupidest thing you could ever say in heaven. You'll never need to say it because you'll never have a bad one. In fact, there won't be anything but day. There will be no night, the Bible says. Notice it says there will be no pain. Can you imagine life without aspirin, without Advil, without Tylenol? You know that over-the-counter analgesic sales in America top $3 billion a year? There's a lot of pain here. There will be no more pain, no more death. You will have a perfect body. You might say, I already have a perfect body. (laughs) Check it out. Yeah, just wait a few years. Let entropy run its course. You can chisel out a fine physique, but it will not last. It was never meant to last. Now, one final thing that might surprise you about heaven, and here we'll close. Not everyone will be there. Not everyone is going to be in. It's a city of believers. And not everybody who has ever lived will be there. That's a myth. So let's read what it says. Verse 7. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. What could be clearer than that? Then go down to verse 24. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. The gates shall not be shut at all by day. Notice, there shall be no night there. They shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. There shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Not everyone will be there. And notice here that there's two classes of people described. Occupants of heaven, non-occupants of heaven. The whole of the world is divided into one of two categories. Occupants of heaven, non-occupants. You say, what's the requirement to be an occupant? Verse 7, he who overcomes. What does that mean? To overcome, it simply means that you place your faith in Christ alone. 
say, how do you know that? Because the same guy who wrote this, John, wrote 1 John chapter 5, where he said, everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. And you might go, aha, well, I have faith. I believe in something. We'll read on. It goes on to say, Who is he that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That narrows it down. Then who is he who overcomes? He who overcomes is one who believes in Jesus Christ alone. So, those people, I think today, think that you will automatically go to heaven... Either A, if you die, that's one myth. How do you get to heaven? All you got to do is die. You can forget God, live any way you want to, and but, but believe me, when you die, we'll suddenly talk about God, suddenly talk about heaven, find a preacher who will push you into heaven. That's a myth. Or the other myth is, all you got to do is be very sincere, because all sincere people who believe in anything they want to go to heaven. That's what, that's what some people think. So there will be a surprise. The, the um, jihadist Muslim believes that if they go on a suicide mission, they kill innocent people in the name of Allah and they get killed in the process, they immediately go to heaven. Talk about a shock. Talk about a surprise to find that is exactly wrong and the opposite. Very sincere, sincerely wrong. Part of that whole belief system is not only do you get instant heaven, but you get 72 wives. Now, talk about punishment. I mean, think of the punishment to be those wives for those women. And probably for both. Right? Somebody said there's going to be three surprises in heaven. Number one, those that you don't expect to be there who are there. Number two, those that you expect to be there who aren't there. And number three, wonder of wonders that you're there. And only by God's grace. So, I can think that the worst possible place to be right now is growing old and be an unbeliever. I want you to think about this. Here's the worst possible scenario. You're growing older and older and older, and you're not a Christian. There's only one way for you to look, friend, and that's back. You have nothing forward to look forward to. All you do is look back. You might say, yeah, you know, uh, that was a great vacation a few years ago, wasn't it? That's all you got. Or wasn't it great raising those kids? Or wasn't that a great pet we had? But that's it. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, good or bad in your past, the best is yet to come. In fact, the new heaven and the new earth will be so totally cool and so totally different that it says in Isaiah 65, Behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. Not everyone's going to go there. Are you? Are you going to go? Are you sure you're going to go? You know, this whole theme keeps coming up again. Throughout the Bible, lines are drawn. You're an occupant or you're not. You're saved or you're not. And if you're saved, you go to heaven. And if you're not saved, you don't go to heaven. 
Or the time Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he will not see what? The kingdom of heaven. Or the time Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many enter therein, and narrow is the way that leads to life, and few enter therein. So according to Jesus, not do all people get saved, not do most people get saved, According to Jesus, very few enter therein. Are you among the few that will enter therein? That's your choice. That's your choice. I don't know if you've ever come to a place where you said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I cannot earn my way to heaven, but I know that Jesus paid the price for me and I totally rest on him. If you haven't done that, then do it today. Because... You would not want the worst of all surprises. And that is in eternity you find out you're never going there. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you have showed us through the words of John what must have been to him in his vision of the future new heaven and new earth. Something so amazing. And we get a glimpse of it. We have to look forward to it. But, Father, not if we're not an overcomer. And so, Father, I pray for these precious people whom you love and I believe that you have drawn here this morning. As we bring this service to a close, I pray that this would be the close of a service and the opening of a brand new way of life for some. I pray that some would dare to commit their lives to Christ, to ask you to be merciful and forgive them to be saved. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.